Brian Powell, and I'm the host of Bristol Myers Squibb's Black Organization for Leadership to Development podcast series, Bold Innovators. This is an open conversation with both community members and allies throughout BMS that are true leaders in and out of the office who stands with our mission to foster an inclusive environment that values the contributions of Black employees equally with others. This season, we'll be focusing on a new Bristol-Myers Squibb core value. Last season, our focus was on innovation. This season, we'll be focusing on passion and how it has driven our guests throughout their careers. In the second part of this two-part episode, we have the pleasure of speaking with two recent early career hires here at Bristol-Myers Squibb. Creating a pipeline of future diverse talent at BMS is a priority for the organization. And when it comes to great young talent, we can't get any better than today's guests. Today, we have Nana Kalu, Commercial Leadership Development Program Associate, and Yusef Jishat, A Activate Associate, Science and Technology. Nana, Yusef, it's a pleasure to have you on the program today. Hi, Brian. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Hey, Brian. Thank you very much for having us. Super yeah. excited to be here. Uh, it's certainly a great opportunity. I'm looking forward to, to talking. No problem. As me as a recent early careers person, glad to have great people like you onto the podcast. I think our audience would love to learn more about your background, where you went to school, and how you ended up coming to Bristol-Myers Squibb. So it'd be great if you can both tell us your story. Yusuf, let's start with you. Alrighty, so my name is Yusuf Jouishat, and uh, my last name's a little difficult because it's actually uh, French. Uh, I am from Morocco, Africa, where one of the one of the the dialects in, involves French, uh, so that's that's the reason for that. Um, yeah, so I came to the U.S. when I was three years old uh, with uh, uh, my parents. So I, I've I've grown up here, but uh, thankfully, you know, my my family. They really kept the traditions of Morocco in our home, so I'm really appreciative of, of, of my past. Uh, but, you know, zooming forward many, many years, <laughs> uh, going into my early career, dis discovery of trying to find where I can best fit, I started to research uh, biomedical engineering, and that's actually what led me to uh, Drexel University in Philadelphia, PA, so that's where I'm located. I did my research, and I was able to find Drexel, and the best thing that they had was actually this co-op program. The co-op program, you actually got some experience in the real world. Uh, you had three different co-ops uh, where you got the opportunity to, to really get involved. It wasn't just, you know, a simple go get coffee or anything like that. You actually got involved with all the other co-workers and it was, it was really cool. And uh, my first, my first co-op was just, just by chance, uh, you know, because you're, you're coming in with, with no experience and these, these companies are really taking a chance on you and and it's and it's paid which is always a great thing especially <laughs> while in college <laughs> oh, definitely uh, yes <laughs> so uh first co-op i was uh introduced to manufacturing and that's kind of what led me led me way into uh bristol myers squibb for my first co-op i wanted to do another uh, manufacturing co-op. So the first one is active pharmaceutical ingredients. And then I got more involved in uh, the biology aspect of, of uh, my major. Uh, so I did some biopharmaceutical manufacturing. And for my third co-op, I actually wanted to do something different. And I tried to work in a lab. 
which is which is a different experience, but I'm very thankful to have been uh, to have really tried something different uh, for my third co-op. And during my third co-op, um, uh, yeah, so that was my third co-op. And then for uh, my senior year is when it came really time to you know start beginning to look for for a job. And that's actually when I was introduced to BMS. Uh, BMS was offering this uh, internship opportunity through the uh, Pan-Asian Network. So that's one of the PBRGs here at BMS. Uh, so they were sponsoring some research that you could do in one of the labs at Drexel University. And, uh, you know, uh, they were able to, to subsidize that. But I think the greatest value is that there was a mentor, and I'm going to throw her name out here because she's been a tremendous help and a tremendous person, a person overall. Uh, and anybody that works with her uh, will say that as well. Rachel Atlin, she's she's truly phenomenal, uh, just individual overall. And uh, through through the mentorship, uh, she was actually uh, willing to ha have me meet with other people at BMS. So there was other people at BMS who had no idea who I was, who maybe even Drexel was or anything, who are more than open and willing to meet with me for about uh, 30 minutes. And it was three different people. And the fact that there was individuals within this company who would be willing to do that, that really motivated me to, to join, to join these people who are very like-minded like me, because that's something that I I would do. I would go out of my way to have a 30-minute session and, and just talk about what I do and, uh, you know, provide any uh, mentoring or any guidance uh, because because someone who's older has certainly been in the, your situation, whatever it may be. There is someone out there who's been in your situation and can certainly offer the, some guidance and some words of wisdom. So that's how I was introduced to BMS, and eventually that's, I'm a year in now, and, you know, I've been able to, to, to get my hands dipped in some amazing things and, and really make a difference uh, in people's lives. That's great to hear you, Seth. And I think you mentioned something that was very important about being at Bristol-Myers School, the power of networks and power of people being willing to open up their doors and have a conversation with you. So I'm glad you're able to see that even before you got to Bristol-Myers Squibb. Naynot, can you tell us a little more about your background? Sure. Again, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. I have listened to previous part, bold podcasts and just seeing the caliber of people that have been on this podcast. I am honored. So, yes, a tough act to follow, Yusuf, by the way, but I will <laughs> give my story. Um, similar to Yusuf, I was uh, born in Africa. I was born and raised specifically in West Africa, Nigeria. So I don't know if you know many um, West Africans or Africans in general. One of the things we always, you know, aspire to be is either a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer. That's just what we're, you know, we're trained to think like. And I just was naturally drawn to science. Science was what did it for me. I found it so easy, a little bit of maths, but it was just something that was great. And I identified from a very, very young age that I wanted to be in healthcare. At the time, I wanted to be a doctor. And my parents, bless them, you know, it's, it's, it's the decision they made is one I will be forever grateful for was, you know, they looked at the African landscape and just thought if Nena's supposed to do well and be a doctor, she, she can't be in Nigeria. You know, the educational system back then wasn't so, so steady. So my parents save up all they have and they send me to the UK, hoping that I would, you know, greener pastures out there, she would be able to do well. And again, decision I was grateful for. So I went to the UK. I must have been 11, 11 years old when I went to the UK. So I did have that Harry Potter life. You know, I was in boarding school. <laughs> you know, I did all that stuff. 
boarding school for most of my time, but I did return home at least once a year. I mean, that's one thing, you know, was drilled into me. You never forget where you come from. So it was important that I went back home every year. After doing my A-levels, I think that's, um, I, I'm not sure what the equivalent is to the US, you know, SATs, I think, or pre-med. So after I did that, I realized that I just loved chemistry, the drug aspect, the components of it, talking to people and, you know, seeing the effect it had on, its, on the body. So I went in for pharmacy instead of the usual, the, you know, medicine I wanted to go for. I loved learning about drugs. I loved the memorizing of the side effects. I loved seeing the effects, the, you know, the numbers and how it moved in patients just because of the dose change, titration. It was, it was just so cool. The whole plan was going to go back to Africa and find a cure to HIV. That was it. That's my big plan. <laughs> and after that, I went back home to Nigeria and it was just, it was, it was a humbling experience and a reality check. You know, when you come back armed with all this Western education, hoping to go back, you realize it doesn't quite translate the same way. We're looking at infrastructure, um, you know, limitations. It was actually during the year that I went back home in 2014 was the West, the Ebola crisis in West Africa. And that was when my definition of access to healthcare started to really change and started to understand what that truly meant for people in different regions of the world. I was working in a hospital in Nigeria back then and working back in the inventory, just, you know, the store where all the medications were kept. And that's when I started seeing these reps that come in from pharmaceutical companies and just, you know, marketing medications, things like that. I was just so intrigued as to what they did. I mean, surely, how can you create impact if you're not, you know, a clinician sort of thing? I just didn't understand that. But I asked a lot of questions and that was when I truly identified the gaps in my knowledge as someone who was so passionate about providing access. And I got my first gig and also one of um, big pharmaceutical companies, but I worked for Sub-Saharan Africa. I did that for a while. That was pretty cool. I was a sales rep. Just my territory was pretty huge as it was something new they were doing, reaching out to pharmacies back in West Africa. The point was to try and help people who they may not necessarily be able to afford to go to the doctors, but in speaking to the pharmacist, who were able to maybe give advice or push steer them in certain directions. Hey, talk to your doctor about this. So I did that for a while. And in me just trying to aspire to have the highest possible <laughs> degree in pharmacy as possible. In the UK, they have something called the M farm, but in the US is a farm D. So I thought, yep, that's exactly what I'm going to get. So that brought me to the US. And that's when I realized that healthcare is so so much bigger than you know what I thought it was. It was it was the US that opened my eyes, you know, working in a pharmacy, insurance, prior authorization, you know, it just it just became bigger and bigger and bigger as, as the more I stayed in this country. And I just I don't know, I, you know how I don't know if Google hears your thoughts and you start seeing these ads randomly. And I started bit. yeah, exactly. <laughs> I started seeing these ads for, you know, MBAs, you know, business school and healthcare leaders and just, and there was a conference near me in Pitt, Pittsburgh. So I came actually to Pittsburgh to pursue this family. And I just put on my suit. I had no idea what I was doing. I just thought that there was this conference, MBA, you know, women in leadership. And I just put on my suit, found it in the closet and, and I went. My daughter at the time was at daycare. So I had, you know, a day to myself. 
and I listened to conversations that were going on as to the impact people were having. And I said, yep, that's what I'm going to do. So I pursued an MBA and the admissions at, um, department of the University of Pittsburgh, you know, said because of your background in pharmacy, there's, there's also the opportunity to do a dual degree if you wanted to. And that was how I ended up pursuing a joint MBA and MHA degree at the University of Pittsburgh. The MHA is so a Master of Health Administration. Great experience, stretch experience. When it was time for my internship, I reached, I went to the National Black, the National Black MBA Conference, which was an awesome experience, by the way. Mm-hmm. And a lot of, you know, pharmaceutical companies were, you know, it was great conversations. They wanted to talk to me. I got a lot of interviews, but the BMS interview just stood out so much, not just the interview process, what, what happened before, what happened after. Genuine questions were being asked. All my concerns, you know, after I'd gotten the offer, hey, these are my concerns. And I was having really candid conversations. I didn't feel like I was playing verbal chess. So open and so candid. And that was something I had not experienced in any of my interview process. And my MBA, the summer internship I had, I had the opportunity to be part of the worldwide VAP team. And it was from Mava Campton at the time. I was so happy to come and see that it was called Kamsahis now. And just being part of initiatives and projects that they did take on even months after I had gone was just fantastic. And that was just the deciding point for me. Like, yes, it's BMS. So when I did receive the offer to come back full time, I, I jumped on it. It was it was like it would be silly to take another choice. Like, yeah. That's my story. Yeah, good, great story. It's funny when you mentioned National Black. That's how I got recruited through BMS for the BINA Rotational Development Program. It's funny how we both went to National Black, got the opportunity. We saw the tremendous value that uh, working at Bristol Myers Squibb perhaps in our careers. <laughs> I kind of want to ask you more specifically, out of all the pharmaceutical companies in the world, why specifically Bristol-Myers Squibb? And in a secondary question, what impact would you want to make in your time here, especially early in your career? And I guess we can start with Yousef with that question. Thank you, Brian. Yeah, so I I chose BMS, um, as I said, during uh, my senior year of, uh, of college. And um, just like any other job or any other interview, you really have to do your research going into it. And I actually started off with with how BMS came to be. It started with one individual who wanted to create uh, medicine uh, that that is cheap. He saw a need uh, in the in the world and wanted to make a change. And I think that's the value, or that is that is the value that BMS still upholds today. And this is something that I had actually talked about in my interview, and because it's 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 very true, and that is certainly um, why I was I, I was brought to 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 want to want to join such a company. And as I said, uh, when I was the way that I was first introduced to it is through the Pan STEM Asian Network, uh, which ultimately you know was motivated and interested in, in bringing uh, people from college uh, into uh, BMS. So there's certainly uh, an amazing aspect on the outside of looking into BMS. And once I got here, again, I was able to see other individuals who, uh, or even more individuals who, who were more involved with, um, with, with what they do. They, they love 
that they get to help people. And that is a mindset that, that I certainly uh, hold myself. What type of impact do you think you want to make in your first year or two at Bristol-Myers Squibb? So I would have to say there's two types of impact that I always want to leave wherever I work. And there was actually a mentor that I had during my first co-op. Uh, it was, like I mentioned, the six-month co-op uh, at Drexel. And he was working there, and he also had been a Drexel student. And he said, you want to implement at least one lasting solution uh, in each of your positions. And that way, after you leave, uh, after many rounds of co-ops come in, you will have implemented something that they uh, continue can continue to use day in and out. Uh, and that way, you can be remembered always for making a tangible change that had made uh, their days years, their days easier or provided them some sort of value in some way. So in my second co-op, I actually created a deviation tracker for uh, the managers and it was using uh, Excel VBA. And the final tab, I actually added a locked page and I put uh, created by Yusuf Jouichat. Uh, if you need assistance with modifying, you know, you can contact me. Here's my uh, number and, and personal email. Uh, now, I haven't received a, a, any texts or calls from them, so uh, I don't know <laughs> if it's either uh, still functioning perfectly or or completely that they just don't use it. So I will have to reach out at some point and, and ask. Uh, so with that mentality uh, here in my current position, I'm always trying to keep an eye out for uh, things that I have seen in my previous positions that I can bring uh, to the table. Uh, so anytime I actually have an idea now, I share it with my manager and and add it to my list of things to do uh, when I have uh, the time. So that's the first type of impact I want to leave, which is something tangible. Uh, and the second type of impact I would say is an emotional one. Uh, I represent my religion of Islam. I represent my nationality of Morocco. Uh, I represent those who had a chance taken on them. Uh, as their first position out of college. And I even represent the name Yusuf, right? So I represent all these different categories and it's my responsibility to ensure that everyone uh, who hasn't come in contact with these di different individuals is to have a good image, uh, to remember that I had uh, passion and integrity in all that I do. So we unfortunately, we tend to gather these false ideas about uh, things based on what we see and hear. But when someone comes in direct contact with me, I have an opportunity to leave them with a lasting impression of who I am and based on all those different categories I've mentioned. So that's the type of impact I want to leave here at VMS. Uh, I would say a tangible one and an emotional one. That's great. Nana, it's what brought you to Bristol Myers Squibb out of all the companies that are out there and what impact would you like to make while you're here? I think that's such a great and deep question at the same time. And as I mentioned earlier, interviewing the recruitment process was just so easy and just it just felt like a really safe space to learn. My internship project was something that I loved. And I spent a lot of time, I know this is going to sound weird, I spent a lot of time studying the organizational chart while I was here doing my internship. And I looked to see the ratio of women in leadership. And the thing about, you know, our lives as women is, you know, we're having children, we're raising families and just seeing the amount of women that were just in senior position, I thought, 
it it must be a conducive environment where you know work life balance is is greatly encouraged and just pushing women to be their absolute best no one feels held back and i thought yeah this is it you know a lot of people who know me know that i started at business school as a single mother my daughter was under two when i went into business school so even just having that i thought i needed to be in an environment that really fostered my growth and while i and at the same time i could be a an example to my daughter now she's five that's great in terms first of all i do want to be known as someone who's genuine kind and bold and obviously that sounds like a cliche because this is a bold podcast but in all honesty that's how I want to be known and and one of my my current role right now at BMS is is in the eloquence marketing and I currently lead the development of you know strategic initiatives to support diagnosis and treatment of uh, to address healthcare disparities and I think that is so cool and just being in that team seeing what the cardiovascular space is doing in terms of leadership in terms of trying to support patients in underserved population, that's definitely, I think it's the right place for me to be. And for me to be successful in this role, I've had to ask very rudimentary questions, very bold questions, you know, and just say, if we're going to make this impact, it's time to start asking those uncomfortable questions. Having those uncomfortable conversations, what really brings in innovative ideas and mindset. Obviously, this podcast is Bold Innovators, and this season we're focusing on passion. So we really wanted to ask more specific questions like what you're very passionate about. This question I want to ask you, you kind of mentioned it earlier. Courage is not the absence of fear or despair. It's the capacity to continue despite them, no matter how great or overwhelming they become. You were telling me a story earlier, your passion for the importance of kindness and authenticity. But the common theme of boldly taking risks continue to surface throughout our conversation, which can be very fearful for many people. How in your life have you built that ability to continue despite those odds? You're definitely right in saying that it is not the absence of fear. Frankly speaking, the fear never disappears. It's still here at this moment, but you just got to push through it. And for me, I've definitely had to really flex that muscle of courage and one by taking on stretch experiences. Nothing really great happens in your comfort zone. And I've had to learn to be comfortable being uncomfortable. I, I'm really not afraid of the word no. I think it's just, oh, here's a no. Just mm-hmm. not being afraid of that. And one, the two other things I did was I really surrounded myself with people who walked the journey. So seeing that it is something that can be done, although it's difficult right now, although it seems like it's such a big deal, like I am years away, just knowing that it has been done and surrounding myself with leaders, with mentors, and just being in certain spaces. Like I said earlier, I just put on my jacket and just went to this conference. Just doing that almost silences the voice of fear. And then finally, I I read a lot of books. So when I came to this country, Barnes and Noble was my absolute favorite place to go to. <laughs> in the UK, we have the equivalent WH Smith. That's what it was. That was what it was back. But Barnes and Noble, just reading a lot of books, you know, Battlefield of the Mind, the David and Goliath book. I just spent a lot of time reading and that just molded my mindset. So whenever I'll have those really, you know, the days of imposter syndrome, the days where I'm not sure what I'm doing, I just remember certain things and I just read. And if you want to make impact, you have to also be 
okay with overcoming barriers, be it physical or mental. And that's something that I constantly train myself on. So it's the people, the books, and just a bit more resiliency. And I, I, I just keep building it every day. I'm not quite there yet. I push through the fear every single day. What book was most influential for you or had the most impact? So it's right now, it's a tie between The Battlefield of the Mind by Joyce Meyer. That was a very strong and powerful book. It's just, just how you think, how you talk to yourself, you know, words. A lot of scripture was, you know, pushing me. And then the David and Goliath book by Malcolm Gladwell, just seeing how you can overcome things you didn't even know you could when the situation brings you there. Just, I mean, you may know the story about David and Goliath. So those two books, it really, really forced me to think of courage as something like a must have. So I strongly recommend those two books. Earlier, you had mentioned it's easy for you to get told no. Is there an example that you're able to easily get a no and kind of keep it rolling? Now in my career, you know, I've always voiced it out like that um, family was very important to me. And in doing so with me and my daughter, I've always had to speak up and say, hey, I can't attend this meeting because I have to go do some school runs and pick. And then there's almost a nervousness as to should... I speak up, should I say something, should I, but what if it holds me back in my career? And I just think to myself, if they say no, I just see it as not today. But BMS has been so great. In fact, I can speak great things about my manager, Jim Martinetti, even for the upcoming POA. It's just rearranging, reshuffling things so Nana can attend these things. And so she's back in time for, you know, pickups. And I almost said no to myself if that makes sense. But just speaking up and seeing how the team just made arrangements for me. However, if they did say you might need to sit this one out, I wouldn't have been you know, sad about it. I would have just thought it's just not time. And just having stories like that where I find sometimes I say no to myself before I give people the chance to say no. So I'm really, really on learning that. But that's that's the only story I could really think of besides, you know, everyone saying, no, you can't go to business school. You have a baby. What are you going to do? No, 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 no. <laughs> you know, it's not happening. You would be putting like. But I just pushed past that because I knew what I wanted to accomplish and I needed to set an example, not just for myself, but for women out there who are having those double minds when it comes to should I, should I not, should I, should I not. And I said, if I can do it, I think you can too. You're a great inspiration for people, you know, the young mothers or people entering into this career. You're a great inspiration just to go past the no and just get to that yes. So, Youssef, you're at the beginning stages of the building your legacy and your career, not only within BMS, but your personal life as well. So what are the building blocks to the pillars of the legacy you want to cultivate, and how has your passion driven them? I truly believe there has to be passion in, in everything. And, and what you do. If you don't have passion, then you certainly are not going to enjoy doing it. And if I may, actually, I'm going to tell a little bit of my of my my uh, my story again. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was younger, I also wanted to be a doctor, just like Nana, and just like you know many many people uh, <laughs> that they they unfortunately get get pressured by our parents to to be in this situation. But for me, it was actually the opposite. It was is a decision that I had made myself. I actually have this little picture of, uh, I think I graduated, was it preschool or, or elementary school? And I wrote on the back, I will be a doctor. 
And I don't know where it is, but it exists somewhere. <laughs> and um, and that was something that I always kept in mind over the years. And becoming a doctor wasn't just about the the, the title or uh, it was more about helping others. And I've always had an enjoyment in helping others. And the reason for that, I think, is is we all kind of look for some sort of purpose in our lives, right? I think that's that's the most difficult part of life. You know, we really try to find purpose. And I think, well, from my experience, at least, um, helping others really does give me purpose, you know, knowing that I'm making a change in other people's lives. So that was when I was younger, really wanted to be a doctor. Middle school is when I got to join class committees. Uh, I got to, you know, uh, practice that little aspect of, of helping others. And in high school is uh, when I got to run for uh, senior senior class president. And I'll never forget. And again, as mentioned earlier, uh, you know, you have, you have to be, comf be comfortable with getting uncomfortable. And I'll never forget uh, jumping on that stage. And uh, in my speech, I, I had written uh, that I would put real chicken and the chicken nuggets in the cafeteria if everyone votes for me. And everyone roared. And I had one. It was amazing. Uh, but the funny thing is that the three following years of high school, I lost every year. <laughs> so so freshman year was the only year that I was able to win uh, 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 class president. And I think that the reason for that is because I wasn't actually able to put uh, real chicken in the chicken nuts, chicken nuggets. And I'm sure there was real chicken <laughs> that might in the chicken the nuggets. <laughs> So, so when I got to uh, college, uh, the first day I was actually introduced to Engineers Without Borders. Now, people may have heard of uh, Doctors Without Borders. Well, funny enough, there's actually Without Borders for everything. There's Plumbers Without Borders. There's there's everything you can think of. There is a long list of Without Borders. Whatever word you want to put in there, it's Without Borders. So I joined Engineers Without Borders, and I honestly, it was... I think it's it's something I reflect on practically every day. Uh, we were able to travel to uh, Ecuador and El Salvador and implement these water filters for communities to literally have clean water. Um, and it was it was uh, an experience that that is indescribable. It's something that you have to see yourself. The the living conditions of of people. And this is something that that I that I knew coming from uh, Morocco. Um, but you know, it was it was a it was a different aspect of uh, of what I got to see, and um, uh, so I, I did that for four years because Drexel is actually a five year program, and uh, my fifth year is actually uh, when I wanted to I, I wanted to transfer some of my work and to have more other people involved uh, in the organization so that I could tr tr transition out uh, well, uh, so that the projects could continue and so on. So my senior year, I decided to actually run for senior class president of our student government, and I won. So <laughs> for, for seven, for over three, four, so seven years, I had not run for, uh, 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 or I, I did run in high school, but I didn't win. <laughs> but in college, I ran senior year, and I got it. And it was just, it's just this funny full circle aspect of, of uh, you know, uh, this idea of helping others. Um, and it's something that I truly just just try to to put in in, in all that I can. Yeah, it's just um, I think that's that's like I said before, it really does help. Uh, you know, waking up in the morning, knowing that um, with with every step that you make, you you are really helping others, 
And uh, that's something that I really appreciate in my work uh, that I do today and, and certainly will continue to do in the future. Well, I guess one question I did have, what moment in your life or your career do you really think of first comes to helping out others or something that comes first of mind? I, I think in high school, there was actually this uh, peer buddy program and the peer buddy program was um, uh, now the the idea was that you would work with individ individuals with with special needs, but I saw it not as that. I saw it as an opportunity to truly become friends with uh, with with people with, with individuals in our high school who had special needs, and I was actually uh, the vice president of that organization. And the goal of me and the president was actually not to call it an organization, not to call it a program, not to call it any of that. The goal was truly just to become friends uh, and build this environment at our school where there are no barriers or, or differences between uh, students of general education and special education. And that was an opportunity of, of, of uh, like I said, in high school. So it was before working through engineers without borders or, or getting involved with other things uh, that I really got to make a change. And, and to this day, my peer buddy was actually at my wedding. And, and wow. the, cr the crazy part is he's, he's practically the only person that I still speak to. We just hang out this past, we just hung out this past week. So that's just an, uh, uh, an example of of, of, I guess, as Nana said, again, it really stuck with me, is, is to be comfortable with getting uncomfortable. You know, that, that wasn't easy at first, um, but then you realize, you know, this is easy once you're doing it. So that's that's something that that kind of, uh, you know, drew me in into to really helping others and, and really making a change in, in the world around me. That's great to hear. So have that connection even throughout high school. And you brought up something, and they brought up something too, being comfortable with the uncomfortable. So I guess the last question for the both of you, what advice can you give to someone to be comfortable with the uncomfortable? Because it's, ironically enough, it's uncomfortable to do something of that nature. Um, I think my response is, it, like you said, it's 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 not it's not easy, and it, and it's it's in the sense, right? But just trying to remember that what the outcome is at the end. At the end, you have to remember that you're going to get through it and it's going to be great. And guess what? If it's not great, you learn from it. You learn from it and you take it on to the next one and to, to the next one until eventually you do become comfortable, right? It's like riding a bike. You know, at first uh, it's super, super scary. Um, and maybe that's even something that you have to reflect on, right? Uh, the aspect of riding a bike. It's something that you uh, that you were very scared of. You did. You had others who uh, helped uh, around you. And uh, eventually you began to ride the bike. And I'm surely, surely you can do the same with just uh, with, with practice. Yeah, I mean, definitely Yusuf is right. It, it, it doesn't go away. You just have to um, remember the outcome. One thing I would add, and I had this conversation with my mom, in pursuing things that are difficult, you must build certain structures and systems around you so you don't quit when it gets too crazy. Like, this is who I'm going to talk to when I'm feeling like giving up. This is going to be my accountability partner. This is the person or what I'm going to do when I'm crying. You do have to build up those structures and systems around you. Otherwise, it is easy 
to give up. I, I really do not believe anyone can achieve anything great on their own. So when you're feeling uncomfortable, what do I do? For me, I would go read this book <laughs> and then that would just <laughs> snap me back into, you know, shape. If I needed, you know, that emotional, that boosting up, like, hey, you know, come this way, I would know where, where to go. So building these structures and systems around you that just sort of, there's almost like a scaffolding when things got really rough. And before you know it, you already, you know what to do and you just keep going. That's great advice from both of you. Thank you again for giving us and our audience that advice about being uncomfortable with the uncomfortable. And Nana Yusuf, thanks again for coming onto the podcast today. It was great to hear your stories, what drives you, and just giving the advice to our audience. Usually on our podcast, we'd like to leave our audience with one lasting question. We'd like to ask our guests, what one piece of advice, life or career, would you give to your past, present, or future self? Wow. <laughs> so definitely for my past self, I would say be open-minded and flexible. I'm very, I was one of those people, I would be this by 25, this by 29, this by 36. <laughs> you know, your plans, you don't always know what you want and your plans don't always, you know, happen the way you want it to be. So to my past self, I would say be open-minded and flexible in your goals. To my present self, I would say it's definitely a process. No matter how gifted you are, there is a process to things. It's like pregnancy. It, it takes nine months. It takes nine months. You can't rush it. You know what I mean? Like, it is what it is sort of thing. Be humble, but yet hungry. But just you just have to go through the process. That's what I'm telling myself right now. Because sometimes I might feel the frustration. It's like, why aren't I doing this yet? But just embrace the process. And then finally, to my future self, and this is really just because I've been surrounded by great leaders, both um, personally and in my time here at BMS, is to not forget what it felt like. Empathy in terms of leadership. So when I do get to that place that I'm headed, I shouldn't forget what it felt like to be the new kid, to be first time on the job. And at, at this point, I'd really like to give a shout out to my team at the Eloquist, Jim Martinetti, Andrew Evans, Liz Arnold, Jason, Tara. It has just been phenomenal in the way that they've led me. And I look at them like, this is how I'd want to lead. You know, it, they didn't forget what it felt like to be the new person or asking those questions, which may be silly. And that's how you help people and people start to key into whatever vision and strategy you build up because there is some form of relatability and empathy tied to whatever the business objectives are. And I don't want to forget that as a leader. So my advice for my past self is uh, everything happens for a reason and you'll be okay. So in the moment, you know, the smallest things seem like the biggest issues and uh, we tend to either have a fight or flight, but maybe there's a third option in there. I, I don't know what it is, but maybe something like pause and conduct a root cause analysis. And that's that's my work background coming into play. Uh, advice for my current self, uh, you know, as, as we've mentioned before, how important it is to, to get uncomfortable. Uh, we all definitely enjoy uh, being nestled in our positions uh, whether it's, you know, at, at work or within our personal lives. Uh, so the advice to myself uh, directly is, is 
you know, as Nike's slogan, which is to just do it. Uh, you know, it's so catchy because because of how true it is. And for my future self, uh, I would say is is to have patience. You know, things take time. Uh, you can't become a millionaire overnight. And uh, even those even those who do, uh, those few that do win the lottery, you know, they've played over and over, usually the same numbers until they finally win. So my advice to myself is to my future self is to relax. Uh, you know, take each day by its own and uh, with the right effort, you'll get that outcome that you've uh, that you've been looking for. Great advice from two very talented and up and coming people at Bristol Myers Squibb. Audience, take note of these bright stars. But again, thank you both for coming on to the program today, and thanks everyone for listening to the Bold Innovators podcast. We look forward to speaking with you soon. Take care and have a bold tomorrow.